You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Well, good morning, church. As I often do, I'm going to try it again. Good morning, church. Good morning. Good to see all your wonderful faces in the house of God today. I was going to spend some time shouting out to the people from Limitless, but Luke has stolen all my shine. So I think I still should because I've got a bit to share because for me, that was my first time away leading CLM Youth and I came back overjoyed for I, I was so outstanding by what God came and done in the lives of our young people, but also in the lives of us as leaders. And he really came and just impressed his, his love and his joy upon our camp. And um, Luke has spoken a bit about young people giving their lives to Jesus. And we speak about that a lot in church. But this isn't something that we should take casually. Young people decided to put their trust in Jesus. Their eternal destinies were shifted. That's a reason to glorify God, a reason to praise him. And for me, when I got home, I just couldn't believe the impact that the young people had received. When, how they came, how they came into Limitless, what they were like. Um, the state of their hearts, and how they left. You could tell the Spirit of God had come and had impressed upon them. And for me, yes, yes, we can give God praise. We can definitely give God praise. I often was the last person into the main meeting, so I had the benefit of being towards the back and seeing how the young people were engaging, seeing how the ladies were engaging. And there was different moments of ministry where we were encouraged to wait on the Lord and wait for the Lord to come and meet with the young people. And there was a time where, they encourage young people to step up and pray for one another, to one, for one another to be healed. If there was any uh, infirmities in, in their bodies, to put their hands up, to raise their hands so that they could be prayed for. And as a group of young people, as the days went on, they were, they were speedy when it comes to prayer. They were ready. I've never seen young people so excited to lay hands. They were just like, they were always ready. And this was a beautiful thing. And increasingly, they became confident in praying for one another. And I think it was the final evening there was, I won't expose them, just in case they won't be, they don't want to be exposed, but a young person that shared that they've been experiencing migraines for some time, and um, they wanted to receive prayer for, for healing for the migraines. Firstly, I was really encouraged by their faith, but also by the young people's faith to pray for them. And we prayed for some time, and initially, we asked, after maybe about a minute or so, how the young person was, was feeling. Are they feeling any of the migraines anymore? I think they said it's gone down to a three. And then we said, okay, following the advice of the person leading the meeting, we prayed again. And by the time we finished praying, the young person said that the pain had completely gone and they were no longer experiencing migraines. And for me, although I've experienced the healing power of God before, each and every time it happens, it's so encouraging, so outstanding. It, it, it kind of comes like a big boost of faith. But to see the young person run to the front and share that they'd been healed, and that's something they're going to carry with them for the rest of their lives, that the Lord came and healed them, for me, that was incredible. And that was one of the many highlights, including young people speaking in tongues for the first time, young people just experiencing the joy of the Lord in worship. Um, there were so many moments that we can go on for a long time celebrating the Lord. But I wanted to say thank you to all, as Luke has done already, thank you to all those who have been praying for us. Thank you to those that sponsored young people to go. Massive shout out. I don't know if he's in the room right now, but he doesn't get enough love. Our operations manager called Chris Ruck just done so much amazing work behind the scenes. I'd love us to show some love for Chris Ruck. <laughs> Certainly one of the unsung heroes of CLM. I'm so grateful to him because without him, we wouldn't have been able to go. So, um, yeah, we really appreciate all he's done. So thank you for allowing me to, to start off in that place. But I had to share that with you because that was a great testimony of our time away. 
Um, and I also want to shout out to our youth team and our parents and all those that were helping out practically behind the scenes. We couldn't have done it without you as well. So thank you so much. Cool. To move on, as I'm sure you've heard, my name is Gabriel. I'm part of the CLM team, CLM staff team. I've been on the team for about three years now, and I primarily look after youth and new people. And um, it's my privilege today to be moving us on in our series in Galatians. And today, specifically, I'm going to be moving us on. Well, I'll tell us what I'm moving us on to in a moment. But the theme of our series at large has been freedom, a life worth fighting for. Why don't we say that together? Freedom, a life worth fighting for. So if you haven't been here for any of the previous weeks, my encouragement to you is to go and catch up. I know when we used to have podcasts. Some people thought podcasts were boring. Now you have YouTube. You have no excuse. So let us go and catch up because this series has been very, very impactful as we've been walking through Galatians together. In the first couple of weeks, Dr. John Andrews unpacked the truth of the gospel, the reality that our salvation in Jesus, our justification in Jesus is fully based upon what he's done and we have nothing to do with it. And for me, growing up in church, this is something that I did not understand. I'm not sure about you, but I was quite certain that I had to do something to earn God's love and earn God's favor and also to be saved. I kind of felt like I had to work my way to heaven. And in these first two chapters of Galatians, Paul unpacks and Dr. John helped us unpack in the, in the first two weeks of this series the reality that there's nothing we can do to add to the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And I think that's something that we should never, never get tired of speaking about because it's easy for us to slip back into a workspace mentality. I feel like we have to earn God's love and earn God's favor. But the reality is that is impossible. If we've accepted, if we put our faith in what Jesus has already done, then there's nothing left for us to do but simply remain in him. Simply trust in the work that he has finished. And Dr. John helped us to understand that in the first couple of weeks. And he spoke about how the Galatians at the time, so the Gentiles in Galatia, they had the understanding or the misconception that they had to fulfill the works of the law, so the Mosaic law, because Jewish Christians at the time were, were telling them that they had to uh, fulfill the works of the Mosaic law. That included things like circumcision and obeying certain sacred days. And Paul wanted to make it a point of emphasis that this is not the true gospel. And he came against this false teaching. And Dr. John helped us understand that. So like I said, please feel free to go back and check out on those first couple of weeks where Dr. John unpacked that. But in the third week, Tracy moved us on, and she spoke about how when we come to know Jesus, not only do we know him as father, but we're also accepted into the family of believers. We now stand as brothers and sisters. If you don't know me very well, you probably won't know that Luke is like, is more my brother than some of my brothers back at home. I have two older brothers, and I love them very dearly. But Luke is my brother in Christ. And the reality is that as I came to know Jesus... I received him as I received all of you as brothers and sisters. And that's a beautiful truth that we get adopted into the family of God. And Tracy helped us to unpack this in week three. And in last week, John, John Chand spoke about the reality that when we come to know Jesus, we are given the benefit of following him, not because we have to, but because we get to. That we have the beautiful opportunity to observe something of a new obedience, an obedience that is based upon a gratitude. So me knowing that I'm saved in Jesus, me knowing that he is my God, I have a desire to live for him, not because I'm forced to, but because I get to. And today, 
what I'm going to be doing is building on where John left us about this new obedience, helping us understand how do we actually outwork this new obedience. Because it's all good and well saying that, great, you get an opportunity to actually observe a new obedience. You get an opportunity to follow the ways of God. But I'm sure I'm not the only one in the room that would say that sometimes it can be hard to follow the ways of God. Sometimes it can be hard to outwork this Christian life. Sometimes it can be hard to be a disciple. It requires a lot of discipline. But the good news is that we don't do this in our own strength. Isn't that good news? We don't do this in our own power alone, but we do this empowered by the Holy Spirit. So, for those of you taking notes today, the title of my message is A New Power. Why don't we say that together? We'll try that again. We need a bit more energy. One, two, three. A new power. Exactly. We are those that, as we put our trust in Jesus, following him isn't something we do in our own strength. Because here's a secret. You will fail. It's not even really much of a secret. It's just the reality. You will fail trying to follow Jesus in your own strength. What you will do is become very legalistic, potentially very pharisaical, You'll be very religious. For my own self, this was my reality. As I came to university, I grew up around the things of God. I grew up in church. And outwardly, I put on a good front. I put on a good face. I looked like I was doing the part. But inwardly, my, my heart was far from God. Inwardly, I had no love in my heart. Inwardly, I was really struggling to outwork this Christian life. Because I didn't realize that I didn't have to do it on my own. I, didn't re- I don't know how I didn't realize this, but I didn't realize that there was a power that had been given to me that would help me to walk this out. And I want to unpack that a little bit today. And I'm, as I'm sure you've already guessed, I hope you already guessed, this new power that I'm speaking about is the Holy Spirit. And for many of us growing up in church, we've heard about the Holy Spirit all our lives. But some of us don't really actually know what it is to walk in the Holy Spirit, to experience his power, to experience his friendship. He's the one that comes alongside us and walks this Christian walk with us. And 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, helps us understand that every believer, the moment they put their faith in Jesus, receives the Holy Spirit. So it's not something that as a Christian, 10 years later or 20 years later, you have to now ask him for. This is a gift we receive the moment we put our faith in Jesus. However, it's our responsibility to grow in consciousness and to walk alongside him day in, day out, so that he may work through us, that he may testify of God's goodness in our life. And as I'm sure many of us know, the Holy Spirit serves many purposes in the life of a believer. A few of those are he brings to our remembrance the good things about God. He convicts us of our sin. He fills us with the very presence of God. He enables us to be witnesses and much more. But today, specifically, what I want to focus on is the truth that he empowers us to live God's ways. He empowers us to walk out this new obedience that John spoke about briefly last week. So to help us unpack this some more, what we're going to do is turn to our focus passage for today, which is Galatians 5, verses 16 to 26. So if you've got a Bible with you, which I hope you do, then if you turn to Galatians 5, verses 16 to 26, and I believe it will also come up on the board 
It starts from verse 13, but I will start from verse 16. But I'll just give us a moment to turn there together. If you're there, say there. Wonderful. I'm going to be requiring a lot of interaction from you today. So if you're sleeping, wake up. Wonderful. Let's go from verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Wow. There's a lot there. I'm going to guess that you didn't come to church today and expect to be hearing about witchcraft and sexual immorality and rage and drunkenness. I know I wouldn't have if I was you, but that is where we're going today. This is the Word of God, and it's amazing the amount of ground that Paul covers in just 10 verses here. And I'm going to seek to unpack quite a lot of this today in our time. So the reality is that Paul's unpacking some quite groundbreaking truths in the life of a follower of Jesus in, this, in these verses. And in verses 16 to 17, he explains to the Gentile Christians in Galatia and those of us who identify as followers of Jesus today, that if we walk by the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. So what Paul is saying here is that if we live in direct influence of the spirit of God inside of us, then we will not succumb to the pressures and the desires of the flesh. And the Greek word used I've said this before, but I'm not Greek, so if you are Greek, I'm sorry. The Greek word used for flesh here is socks. I hope that's right. Which refers to our human earthly nature that's apart from the divine influence of God, which is therefore prone to sin and opposed to God. And for me, the idea that flesh was a natural, or let's say, the idea that my flesh was naturally inclined to sin was a hard thing for me to grasp. It It was something that I resisted. Because I wanted to pretend, particularly in my very religious days, when I say religious, I mean not walking in relationship, but simply knowing of the things of God. This was hard for me to grasp because I was convinced that, no, I'm a good guy, I'm a good person. You cannot tell me that my flesh is naturally sinful. But over time, I've started to reflect on just my life in general, and I've noticed certain things about myself that make it very clear that my flesh is indeed sinful. So I just started to go back over my life, and I remembered... When I was young, I grew up in an area called Hackney in London, and we used to go to the laundrette for just several years. I'm not sure we didn't buy a washing machine, but hey-ho. And then we used to 
But my, there used to be a corner shop right next to us. And my mum would often go into the corner shop, get a little few bits, some cookies for us. And she'd always leave a bag behind. Some of you may know where this is going. So, obviously, in the bag is the purse. And in the purse, there's change. So, me being me, um, I thought, you know what? I like Hubba Bubba. I'm saying it so fast, it's probably going out, I'm saying Hubba Bubba. Hubba Bubba was a, an amazing chewing gum when I was growing up. Some of you may remember. I was addicted to it, to be honest with you. But obviously, I didn't work. I didn't have no money. Pocket money doesn't exist in my Nigerian household. So, I'm going to have to find a way to get this Hubba Bubba. So, so, some of you can guess where this is going. I find my way into her purse. I then take the 40p, that's two packs, and I go and buy the hubbubba. If you're watching, Mum, I am sorry, as I've never told her this before. So, no one taught me how to go into her purse. No one showed me how to do that. I just knew how to do it. I didn't watch a YouTube video. I didn't have a manual. I just knew somehow how to steal. That would make me feel, of course, the word of God is the ultimate authority, but we, we look to our experiences as well. That would remind me that something about my flesh was just naturally sinful. Similarly, maybe some of you can relate to this. Maybe some of us will pretend like we can't. But when we see a picture, when there's a picture, or maybe a group picture, you went out for a meal, and um, we're reviewing the picture now. As soon as you look at the picture, who is the first person you look for? Yourself, right? Newsflash. That's self-centered. That's a little bit selfish. Just a little bit. These are some light-hearted examples. But what I'm trying to show is, I'm sure nobody taught you, when you look for a picture, look for yourself first. But the reality is, you normally care for your interests first before you do others. And no one had to teach you that. I could go on and on. I'm sure my wife could explain other areas in which I am naturally fleshly. But I won't go to those. There's other things that we walk in that show our natural fleshly nature. And the reality is that this natural fleshly nature has to be tamed, if you will, has to be come against by the Spirit of God. Otherwise, it will have its way. Jesus, when speaking to the disciples in the garden, they were falling asleep whilst they were praying. He said, he told them to pray. He asked them to pray. He said that the flesh is weak, but the spirit is willing. Because our flesh succumbs to temptation far easily than we would desire. There's often, I'm sure some of us have said, I'll never do it again. I'm never going there again. I can never go on that website again. Tomorrow. I'm never doing it again. Right? The flesh is weak, even though the spirit is willing. Even though that's not your desire, the flesh can be very weak. And the reality is that we have a responsibility to put to death this fleshly way of living. Otherwise, it will lead to our downfall. It will lead to our destruction. And this brings me to my first point today, that we have a responsibility to battle, go to war with our flesh, specifically spoken about in this passage as crucifying the flesh. So my first point today is that this new power from the Holy Spirit enables us to crucify the flesh. Why don't we say this together? Crucify the flesh. Yes, it gives us the power to crucify the flesh. It gives us the power to come against our natural inclinations that is prone to sin and that succumbs to the desires of the flesh. 
as verse, I'll be going back to this passage ongoing, so feel free just to keep it open. But as verse 24 says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So before we get to this, it's important we look at these passions and desires and acts of the flesh again very quickly, just to bring it to our remembrance. So I'll read verse 19 to 21 for us very quickly again. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're not going to be going through these in detail today, but it's important that we recognize that this isn't an exhaustive list. This is to give us an understanding of what the acts of the flesh look like. So for some of us, we may identify some of these things that we've walked in, where this list is concerned. And it's important to make a clarification where this is concerned, particularly where it speaks about not inheriting the kingdom of God. That the word used here, particularly in the New King James Version, where it says those who live like this, in the Kingdom Version, it uses those, the word those who practice this. And the original language for practice here speaks of one who is doing this ongoing. This is habitual. They are not walking in repentance. It's these people that it speaks of as those that will not inherit the kingdom of God. What it's not saying is that if we will fall into this, that we will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's saying that those that have walked in this and continue to walk in this without repentance, it's ongoing, it's practicing, it's habitual and continual, that they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I wanted to just make that distinction very quickly. So now we understand what walking in the flesh or the acts of the flesh look like practically. Now we can speak a little bit about how we crucify it, how we actively come against it. And, sorry, my mouth is dry. I'm going to need some water. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Luke. What a brother. Wonderful. So, as I was saying, we know that to crucify the flesh, the believer themselves has to play an active role. The Holy Spirit comes and empowers us, but we have our own responsibility in taking our fleshly desires and crucifying them. And we know this because verse 24 explains that it's those who belong to Christ that do the crucifying. It doesn't say the Holy Spirit does the crucifying. But it says that those that belong to Christ do the crucifying. So we have to actively play our part in that, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And Paul would have been intentional in using the term crucified for, for many reasons. But here are some of the reasons why he, he may well have used the term crucified. It was a brutal and painful form of death. It would have reminded the Galatians of what Jesus had done for them on the cross. It speaks of the reality that the death of the flesh is painful. And it would remind them that they are called to take up their cross and follow Jesus. Crucifying the flesh isn't easy. That's, that's important to take note of. It's not easy to go against your natural fleshly desires, your natural inclinations to do wrong, your natural in inclinations to rebel against God. Like I said before, I naturally leant towards taking my mum's money from the purse. So 
to go against it, I have to do something that's going to require some actual action from me. And I'm going to be in pain because I'm going to miss my hubba bubba. I don't know what your hubba bubba is. But the reality is that it's probably going to be painful to crucify it. But the reality is that there's life on the other side. In the crucifixion of that fleshly desire, there's something far greater on the other side that Jesus has for us. But we, we need to crucify it first that we are able to walk in it. And one of the realities of this passage is that in crucifying the flesh, it involves teachings directly from Jesus as direction to walk it out. He's given us the guidance in his very teachings. So I'm going to take us to a passage in Mark 8, verse 34. You don't have to go there, but I'll read it for us. And it's Jesus himself speaking. And he says, if anyone wants to follow, me, follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. So this helps us understand that the crucifying of the flesh involves an active and regular spirit-led decision where we as followers of Jesus deny ourselves or put to death our sinful and selfish tendencies. It's like a regular nailing to the cross of your sinful desires, of your wrongdoing. You have to be active with this. Maybe you have triumphed over some of the things that your flesh desires, but taking up your cross is a regular thing. It's a daily thing. You have to outwork this with the help of the Holy Spirit. So in taking up our cross and crucifying our flesh, not only do we put to death our sinful nature, but we also find a life in Jesus. I'll read another passage for us that speaks a little bit about this life that we find. As Jesus speaking to the disciples in Matthew 10, verses 38 to 39, he says, Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. So the reality is that you are going to experience some loss when you come to crucifying your flesh. But the good news is that there's far more life to be had, far more joy to be had when we're walking with Jesus. There's far greater things on the other side. And it can be hard to see initially, but similarly for Jesus going to the cross, what does the word tell us? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And there's reality that for us every single day, for us to experience the joy and the freedom of walking with Jesus, we need to kill, we need to crucify the things that would enslave us and that would keep us bondage to our sin. So I know this isn't a very happy, happy, lighthearted message. I like to laugh a lot, but um, yeah, this isn't necessarily the message that would bring great laughter, but it's a message that's important. A message that we have to take hold of. Because the reality is that the acts of the flesh, often it's us alone in our private time that can see them. Often no one else can see them. And we have to take a decision and say, am I going to carry my cross every day? So moving on, my second point today is that this new power that we receive from the Holy Spirit enables us to keep in step with this Spirit. So in Galatians 5, I'm going to go back to verse 25, it speaks about how since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. 
So to first keep in step with the Spirit, you have to, of course, first put your trust in Jesus. That is step number one, to receive of his Holy Spirit. And then we need to be open and sensitive to the influence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And thirdly, we have to pattern our lives after the leading of the Holy Spirit and the practices that Jesus has laid down for us. And for me, once again, it's beautiful how Jesus has already outlined, laid out a foundation for us to keep in step, for us to follow him, as Paul speaks of here. And to to help us understand this a little bit more, I'm going to take us to John chapter 15, verse 4 to 5. If you'd like to turn it, you can, but otherwise I will read it for us. And it says this in John 15, 4 to 5. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And I think it's very beautiful how Jesus' words and Paul's words sit so well together here. And what Paul, what Jesus, sorry, is speaking about here is a keeping in step with, a remaining in and abiding in Jesus. And when we do that, when we abide in him, when we walk with him, a a natural fruit is born. It's not a striving. It's not a works-based teaching. What it is is that as we rest in him, as we sit under his teaching, as we stay in his presence, as we read his word, as we fellowship with brothers and sisters, his fruit will naturally be a byproduct in our lives. And for me, there's different individuals that you can sometimes just see or look to and realize this person is walking with the Holy Spirit just by the way they carry themselves, just by the way they love. I'm going to go on to the fruit of the Spirit in a moment, but I want to just share a quick story in our time at Limitless, interestingly enough. And I was, um, <laughs> when you go to Limitless, you've got to line up for the showers. Um, so I got up re- relatively early on one of the days and I was in the shower and there was a few guys waiting and I just spoke to some of, one of the guys in there, you know, I'm friendly sometimes. So I was like, how you doing? And um, yeah, he was like, it's good. I was like, how you enjoying it? He was like, yeah, it's good. He was giving me dead answers in it. So I was thinking like, should I even continue this conversation? But I carried on. And um, yeah, and then I said, you know, like, you know, where are you from? And I think he said like near Bristol. And I was like, oh, hmm. I know there's some people from a church near Bristol that have some connections to CLM. So forgive me, I forgot what church he said he was from, but he shared what church he was from. And then I told him where I was from, I was from CLM. He said, oh, he said, you know, Tony Williams. And I was like, yes, I do. And he said, oh, what a man of God. And I said, yes, what a man of God, right? And he said, yeah, the way he and his wife, Julie, the way they love, the way they're caring. I was surprised, thinking, how is he loving you guys so well and loving us so well at the same time? But clearly, Tony and Julie, there's an evidence of their abiding with the Spirit of God. There's an evidence of their love for Jesus. And it's shown through their fruit that people are speaking of it. I wouldn't have even known that this person would have known Tony Williams, but there was something evident in Tony Williams' life that made it clear to that person that, as he said, he was a man of God. He could see the fruit of the Spirit in his life. And just to take us to the passage that speaks specifically of the fruit of the Spirit, in Galatians 5, to 23, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, 
gentleness and self-control. Against such thing, things there is no law. And it's very beautiful that we can see the fruit of the Spirit, all of them, all of them that precede the first fruit that's mentioned, which is love, come out of an overflow of one's heart that is full of love. John last week spoke about how when we choose to follow this new obedience, that we love one another as we love ourselves. And the reality is that when one is walking in love, when one is walking in these various fruit of the Spirit that are mentioned here, they don't have to try or seek or strive to follow a law. They don't have to be ones that are reading the Ten Commandments day in, day out. Because the reality is that because the Holy Spirit is at work in them, they naturally walk in his fruit. And this is why it speaks up of their against such things there is no law. What it's saying, it's a bit of an ironic statement, but what it's saying here is that they no longer need the law to dictate the way they live their lives because the law is written on their hearts. The Spirit of God is enabling them to walk in the ways of God without them having to be enslaved by the law. And this is why Paul wanted them, the Galatians, to understand the reality that they didn't need to be bound by the Mosaic law, but they simply needed to walk in the freedom that Jesus had won for them. Because when they walk in that freedom, when they keep in step with the Spirit, the Spirit of God will allow them and enable them to keep his law, not through compulsion, but through a natural abiding in him. It's a, pro- it's a byproduct of just simply remaining in Jesus. And I'm just going to invite the band to come and join me. For me, it's so important that we, we take hold of some of the truths that we, we learn in Galatians 5 today, that we don't allow it to be something that we skip over, that we don't leave here today thinking, well, it, you know, it's good to be one who's full of the Spirit. It's good to be one who has this, the fruit of the Spirit in my life. But instead, we, we ask ourselves, we, we truly ask ourselves, am I one that keeps in step with the Spirit, that walks with Him day in, day out, that allows Him to influence my thoughts, my decisions, my patterns? Am I being intentional every day to crucify my flesh, to come against the things that naturally I want to lean towards because they're comfortable or because they're pleasing? Am I choosing to take up my cross and follow Jesus? Am I choosing to resist the temptations, not by my own strength, but by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit? That's a question that only we can truly ask ourselves. We know the state of our hearts more than any other person. But for me, my prayer, my heart, is that we be a people that are led by the Spirit, that are in step with the Spirit. We be a people that are spoken of as a community, that people speak of us as people that are loving, that are full of joy, that are kind, that are patient. We're not striving for this. But this is our natural reality now as those who are new creations in Christ. And for some of us, that might mean going home and assessing our lives. Assessing where maybe I need to ask the Lord for more self-control. 
where I need to walk in more gentleness. Maybe you're a mom or a dad and the way in which you discipline or speak to your children is, is lacking gentleness. We need to ask ourselves, Lord, I know this isn't from you. So Lord, help me to walk by your spirit. Help me to choose your ways. Maybe for yourself, you're struggling in some of the areas that are spoken of in the acts of the flesh. And if it isn't on there and you think you're all good, maybe it's pride. I can speak for my own self that a stronghold in my life was sexual immorality. It's something that I struggled with that nobody else could see, nobody else knew of. And time and time again, I was, I was found, I found myself asking God like, Lord, I don't want to do this. I don't want it to be my reality, but I can't stop going back to this. And speaking specifically, I struggled personally with pornography. That's something that I struggled with in my teenage years in particular. And for me, I came to a place where I said, I'm going to have to crucify this. I'm going to have to deal with this once and for all. I'm going to have to make a radical decision that this would come to an end. So for me personally, what I decided to do, I said, Lord, I'm going to lift this up to you in prayer and fasting. And I want you to remove this from me. I want you to kill this. But it wasn't as simple as that. I had to take action. I had to put blockers in place. I had to ask someone to put a password on certain websites so that I can walk in freedom, that I would no longer be enslaved. Because like I said, crucifixion is a drastic measure. I need to kill it. I'm not playing around with it. And for you, whatever it might be in your life, you need to ask yourself, what do I need to kill? What do I need to crucify that I might walk in the freedom that Jesus has won for me? Because the reality is, as Galatians 5 tells us, the spirit and the flesh are always in conflict. You have to choose one way or the other. And the choice is yours. So we're going to take some time. We're going to sing a song of worship once the Lord, just walk him in the Holy Spirit. So in a moment, well, even now, I'm going to ask us to close our eyes around the room. And this is a moment between you and the Lord. I'd encourage you to not worry too much about who's around you. But I believe the Lord wants to come and fill us afresh with his spirit. He wants to empower us to be those that would keep in step with him, that would choose him day in, day out, that would take up our cross and follow him. But he wants us to lay down that feeling that some of us have where we feel like we can do it in our own strength, that pride, that pretense that everything is okay. He wants us to lay it down. And he wants us to open our hearts and say, Lord, I need you. I need your spirit. I need your presence. I can't do this on my own. So we'll take a moment to sing this song together in a moment. But if this is you, if you are in a place where you're saying, look, enough is enough. I want to walk by the spirit day in, day out. I want to welcome into my heart afresh, whether it's for the first time or for the hundredth time. If that is you, I'd encourage you just to stand in the room. And I'm going to pray for us together. to stand, go ahead.
Don't worry about those that are around you. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to sing this song of worship as a response to Jesus. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are the one who comes alongside us. Thank you that you are the paraclete. Thank you that you are the comforter. Thank you that you don't condemn, but you convict us of our sin. You convict us of our wrongdoings, that we might walk in freedom instead. Jesus, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you went to the cross. Thank you that the work that you've done on the cross is a finished work, that we can't add to it. But we simply have to put our trust in you. And Lord, I pray today that you would just bring your presence into this room right now. For those who are opening their hearts to receive of you afresh, Spirit of God, we welcome you into our hearts, into our minds, into every part of our being, Lord God. Where we have formally shut you up, we welcome you. We say, Lord, come and have your way. We choose today to put our trust in you afresh. And we ask you as we go from here that you would lead us, that you would guide us, that you would teach us how to walk in step with your spirit. That you'd help us to carry our cross. You'd help us to crucify our flesh each and every day. We thank you, we love you, and we bless your holy name. In your mighty name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen.